This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Buck Phillips, Chief Financial Officer of G1 Therapeutics, and you're listening to CFO, the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 485. Uber, Lyft, Jewel, or 23andMe, or Slack, Spotify. These are companies that a lot of people are aware of. Um, they've done incredibly well. They've generated huge wealth for their investors and their employees. But as they've chosen now to stay private, uh, for longer periods of time. Uh, I think the median private company now is, is uh, 11 years old, and, and that, that's a significant increase from, uh, say, five years ago when it was more like seven years old. So, so the private companies are now choosing to stay private longer, but they need to figure out how to finance, continue to finance their growth, as well as providing liquidity to their investors and their employees. You can work with Forge, and we can help you to do that. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. As more unicorns delay going public, Forge Global is seeking to satisfy the growing appetite for liquidity among Silicon Valley's IPO-hungry rank-and-file. It's an opportunity where CFO Mark Lee and Forge's finance team find themselves along the outer reaches of the finance function's evolutionary path. For Forge Global, it's where talent retention and customer retention become one. Our discussion begins after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking to Mark Lee, CFO of Forge Global, a trading platform that helps employees sell their shares in pre-IPO companies. Uh, to date, the company has handled such trades for shares in companies, including Spotify, Snap, Square, and all three of those were uh, unicorns, which have since gone public. So there you have it. 
But first, let's uh, let's welcome Mark. Mark Lee, welcome. Thank you, Jack. Good to be here. So we're quite intrigued uh, by Forge, and of course, you've only just arrived. So we want to hear some of your story. Uh, and before we uh, discuss Forge, let's let's do that. Let's go back in time, Mark, and find out uh, about some of the experiences. Uh, you've had along the way uh, to the CFO office. What would you share with us? What were those sort of experiences that you feel prepared you for this role? You know, there were probably three things, uh, Jack, that, that I would uh, describe that I thought were real important milestones in my career that got me here. Um, the first job uh, was at Hewlett Packard, and uh, I was hired by the controller of a division at Hewlett Packard, and he was an incredible mentor. Um, but the controller really had a very strong view of a controller as a business leader, and that it was about your leadership skills. And he really believed that as a controller and having good leadership skills, you could really take those skills and transfer it to any function or role. So, I mean, he, he would tell me, he felt like his next job could be the head of marketing for the division. So um, yeah, but it, it was this, it was this uh, worldview that um, you're 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 one of the most senior people in your business, um, and the, the leadership skills are paramount. The the second kind of milestone I think for me was uh, a role where I was a division CFO for Schwab's capital markets business. And for me, this is the first finance world where instead of now reporting to a more senior finance person, a controller or a CFO, now I was the senior finance person and I reported to the CEO. And this job put me into the driver's seat. So now at this point, I was probably very comfortable, you know, doing great analysis, laying out multiple options to make big decisions for the business. But what I really figured out in this this job is that what the CEO really wanted from me was not to give him ideas and options, but really to give him strong recommendations. So it, it changed my viewpoint of becoming a more proactive leader of the business alongside the CEO. And then I think the third and, and very important step in my career was when I became the CFO of the Stanford Management Company. Uh, the Stanford Management Company is the part of Stanford University that manages uh, their endowment and all of their investments. And even though my title is CFO, um, I was responsible for a real broad range of functions, everything from finance, operations, investment valuation and performance reporting, operational due diligence on their investment managers, cash management, securities lending, uh, facilities and technology. So that role really expanded my responsibilities well beyond finance and really towards overall business management. Okay. Wow. Very interesting path in light of the fact that um, I think you began, as you mentioned, at Hewlett-Packard. How did you jump? What Did you have an itch for investment banking? What brought you into the banking world? It seems to me we speak to many uh, finance leaders who, uh, if they were, if they began at Hewlett Packard, they're still sort of in that high tech realm. They went to another high tech. Maybe it was a manufacturing company. Maybe it was a software company, but they stayed there. Did you have an itch way back when to jump 
to uh, investment banking? Or yeah. Is it? You know, that's a great question. I um, was at Hewlett Packard for about four years, um, and it was a great place to start my career. This was back in the days of in search of excellence, and HP was considered really one of the best well-run companies in the world. And I thought it was a great place to kind of uh, do, do my accounting and kind of uh, learn how to manage, learn how to lead, uh, and do it. <laughs> back, back in the days, they would describe it, do it the HP way. Um, so I was on a great track at HP, but I, I think after four years, uh, an opportunity came up to work for Goldman Sachs in New York. And I think I just felt that it, it was a great opportunity to see something different. It was early in my career, and that uh, I might as well give it a shot. Obviously, Goldman Sachs was a well-known leader in what they do, and um, didn't feel like there was much downside. So I took the leap, moved to New York, and, and uh, made that change. Can I, if you wouldn't mind, I, I, was there a recruiter? Did you get a phone call? Was there a contact you had from school who alerted you to this? Uh, because, no, I, I imagine there are a lot of finance managers at HP who, who would love that phone call. <laughs> uh, and I'm not it's, saying it's, were, a, it, yeah. it's just a, a door opening. Yeah. yeah. I think it was just kind of, uh, um, um, as, as chance would have it, I, so, so I was a graduate of the Chicago Graduate School of Business. Um, and they had kind of a monthly listing of, of positions that they would send out to, to their alumni. So I just happened to, to see that and follow it up. And uh, I guess it was just, you know, right time, right place. Great, great, great detail. I think um, uh, very often uh, universities and schools do play a role, and we don't always reveal that to uh, our listeners. So that's a, that's a nice little uh, detail there. And again, uh, the Stanford Management Company, I feel like I need to uh, to ask you about this as well. I mean, this is such a unique entity. You were there a good number of years, too. Can, can you give us any greater detail how you became involved there? Well, I was recruited uh, to this role. Stanford uh, was looking for a CFO, and um, it was really an incredible opportunity. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of these jobs out there, but, but there's a number, of course, amount of money that they have to manage, um, it makes sense to have an essential own investment company. Um, and so uh, the Stanford Management Company was a team of about, at the time, about uh, 80, 80 people or so. There was an investment team focused on you know, deploying capital really around the world and in all asset classes. And uh, the CFO job uh, specifically was to help kind of manage everything around the investment, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, you know, besides kind of the basic finance and operations, uh, as a CFO, I also had a role in helping to uh, track the value of all, our, of all of our investments, calculate performance for the endowment, due diligence on the investment managers that we selected to invest on behalf of the endowment, you know, manage cash. It was really a, a, an incredible opportunity. Stanford obviously was kind of one of the one of the global leaders in investing in alternative investments along with the other top schools. So with that Stanford. 
business card, you can really get into just at the top and have some characters all around, all around um, the globe. We want to find out now about Forge and the chapter it's currently opening. I know that it uh, recently rebranded itself. You arrive. So I, I have to believe that the rebranding yourself, there's part of a new chapter that's being um, opened here. Um, tell us about it. Yeah, so Forge has been around for just five years. We just passed our five-year anniversary. Um, we were founded by uh, two software engineers, um, two brilliant guys that came out of the Y Combinator program, entrepreneurs. And um, so we really have our roots as a fintech company. Um, but it was in 2018 when um, Forge, at the time we were called Equity, uh, brought in Kelly Rodriguez to, to run Forge. And uh, Kelly came on board, an experienced CEO at several companies uh, successfully, uh, raised capital. Uh, we announced that uh, we were raising $50 million, uh, initially. And when we rebranded uh, early this year, we increased that amount to, eight, to, to $85 million. Um, and so, so yeah, a lot, a lot of this, uh, me joining Forge, uh, is coincident with Kelly coming on board and, and building the company. We were probably about 12 people a year ago, and today we're now over 50. Uh, so we have, uh, you know, we have a lot of ambitions of what we want Forge to do. But, 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 but for the people who may not be as familiar with, with Forge, Forge is a broker-dealer, and we're the leader in providing liquidity to meet the needs of the private market. So there's really two primary constituents that we have. On the one hand, we're serving private companies that are choosing to stay private for longer periods of time. And they need to manage the liquidity for both the company itself as well as for their investors and their employees. And then on the flip side of it, there's institutions and high net worth individuals that want to invest into this rapidly growing private company asset class. So that's what Forge does. for me. So Forge can um, sort of address this, the downside for a lot of companies who put off their IPO is that some of their employees uh, are eager uh, sometimes for the financial gains that they see on paper and they put off the IPO. Well, here Forge, Forge can address that simply um, and, and ease a lot of the concerns that exist in some of these pre-IPO companies. How'd I do? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You nailed it. <laughs> I mean, if you think about, if you think, if you think about all these uh, private companies that we all know so well, um, Uber, right, and Lyft, and um, Jewel, or 23andMe, or Slack, and as prior to last year, Spotify. Um, these are companies that a lot of people are aware of. Um, they've done incredibly well. They've generated huge wealth for their investors and their employees. But as they've chosen now to stay private uh, for longer periods of time, uh, I think the median private company now is, is uh, 11 years old, and, and that that's a significant increase from, um, uh, say, five years ago when it was more like seven years old. So, so the private companies are now choosing to stay private longer, but they need to figure out how to finance, continue to finance their growth, as well as providing liquidity 
to their investors and their employees. And since you could be an early engineer at Uber and have amassed significant wealth, but now, and now you want to diversify, you want to buy a house, maybe you want to finance uh, education. Um, and so, and so uh, you, can, you can work with Ford and we can help you to do that. Now, what, is there a, a particular uh, stage company that Forge is focused on today? Yeah, we really focus on unicorns, and so it, it typically is going to be companies obviously worth a billion dollars or more. There's going to be more interest the bigger the company is, and there's more liquidity the larger the company. So clearly so late, late stage companies. How do you, how do you measure your? Uh, well, um, I mean the growth that at Forge has been kind of stellar, kind of, kind of uh, um, every year. Every year the, the volume increases and grows, and partly it's a function of kind of where we are as a company, and partly it's a function of the importance of these private markets. Um, but, but we track volumes and revenue very closely. We've now done about a billion seven in trading volume over over the course of our existence, and we did um, yeah, and, and 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 we did a billion three last year. Now, what are the uh, what are the key metrics then that you are you know, paying close attention to. I, I'm curious if any of them would surprise us, or are they the, the typical metrics that firms of this in this weight class would always be watching closely? Yeah, no, those are very obvious obvious ones. We're obviously very focused, as, as a young company, on growing our business. So revenue and volumes are the most, two most important and obvious metrics. Market share would be... Uh, very helpful, but unfortunately, the private mar markets are so opaque and not transparent, it, it's really hard to get a read on market share. Um, and then third would be looking at probability. Um, we have a lot of different types of trades and different structures that can meet the needs of our sellers and investors, and so uh, we need to understand transaction probability very closely. So th th there are other metrics that we use, but that's an area that that we'll be developing kind of further as we progress. As you look to structure the finance team there, I, and I don't know if you reorganized finance uh, upon your arrival. Did, did you see certain pieces missing? What, what did you find and what do you want to do? You know, a year ago, Ford, as I said, had only about a dozen employees and no finance professionals. So it, it really wasn't so much a question about reorganizing finance as it was to build it almost from scratch. Uh, so uh, one of my first steps was to bring in a controller who is now about three months in. Um, so we're still in the process of putting into place policies, procedures, and best practices. Um, there, there's, there's really a huge amount, overwhelming amount of work that we have to do. But as I said, my controller, it's, uh, it's a cruel world. So Having just... Having just hired a controller, I can't resist asking, um, and you've hired probably a few during the course of your career, so you're probably pretty good at it. Um, and, of course, every job, every controller job is a little different, so maybe the skill mix is a little different. But what would you tell us? What would be the criteria to use to make that hire today for you? Having just done it, maybe they're still top of mind. Well, you know, um, in my case, in, in the case of Forge, um, it was very helpful to get a controller that had experience with startups. 
And so our controller came in, you know, had experience, of course, as a CPA, has experience working in finance at large companies, but in her last two stints, um, worked in a startup environment, and so was very familiar with kind of everything you have to do to kind of build and put in place um, an accounting accounting practice, basically. I think if you work only in large companies, then um, you probably more in a situation where you join a company and everything is more or less in place, um, and there's changes and improvements kind of more incrementally. Uh, but in a startup environment, really you're in a, you're in a situation where, where you pretty much have to, to build it up. Before we move, I'm going to ask you for what is our signature question, where I ask you for a finance strategic moment. I hate just uh, forge. Uh, I want to understand better. You've been in that Silicon Valley. You've had this unique role at, at Stanford, and you have lines of sight into so many of the companies there you've been observing for years from a finance perspective. What is generally misunderstood about Silicon Valley startups? You might go to a conference where there are people from the East Coast, your, your former New York uh, colleagues. Uh, <laughs> It's, there's some 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 lesson that you you learned long ago, given your exposure um, to that geography and the types of companies that have grown up there. That um, was there one takeaway that uh, comes to mind when I ramble on. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, Jack. This is my first job at a startup. Um, you know, my my career has been with a lot of very um, well-established, you know, firms that were leaders in what they did, whether that was Hewlett-Packard, uh, Goldman Sachs, Charles Schwab, um, and then Stanford, uh, Stanford University. Um, so th there's a, there's a mystique about startups, I think, that everyone has, and uh, you're imagining these 20-something-year-olds, uh, you know, Kind of working all all hours, and um, I, I think that I, I think joining a startup, there's a, we have a lot of brilliant uh, people. They tend to be on the younger side of things. I think that uh, as as a startup starts to mature and starts to grow, as, as Forge is doing, you know, you, you naturally start to bring in um, more uh, experienced people um, who can kind of help guide the company you know, towards uh, uh, building itself, institutionalizing its practices and policies. I mean, in the case of Forge, we, we want to, we aspire to become a global financial institution. And so, you know, for us, it's about bringing the, the, right, the right people to build the infrastructure that we need to engage with, you know, global financial institutions as counterparts. And um, uh, so it's great to have that mix of, of kind of our, our, our brilliant young engineers and, and others, as well as bringing in people who, you know, have done this and have the experience and, and they can complement each other. Um, but it's, it's exciting. It's exciting. I, I, I actually <laughs> recommend the experience highly for, for those who are interested. When we come back, CFO Mark Lee 
shares a finance strategic moment after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. All right, so I'm going to ask you for a finance strategic moment, which is where uh, during the course of your career, and you've probably had so many of these, but we want you to narrow it down just to one for us, where your lines of sight into the organization allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk or something that led you to respond, whether it was uh, uh, pointing the department or the company in a different direction, whatever it may have been, but it was related to finance, it was related to the visibility you have uh, in finance due to the numbers and your, your mindset. Um, what comes to mind when I asked for a finance strategic moment? What I would like to share with your audience, um, it's, about, it's about my time at Stanford and my time at Schwab. And so uh, in my role, in a senior finance role at those two organizations, you know, I had, the, I had a lot of involvement and visibility to, to strategic discussions with senior leaders. So for example, at Schwab, um, I had the opportunity to attend and present at quarterly division meetings with the key leaders of Schwab at that time. And so that would have been Charles Schwab, uh, Chris Babb as the CFO, and Dave Patrick as the, as the, as the CEO. Um, and so I would work with the head of the division to build these presentations, develop the content of what we wanted to present to Schwab leadership. And it gave me the opportunity to experience talking to Chuck and Dave about capital markets and trading within the context of a vast retail brokerage and RIA business. And it really gave me insight into how these you know, visionaries really viewed the investment in the brokerage business. Um, and at Stanford, similar story. I helped to prepare the quarterly board meetings with the leadership of the university. Um, so that would include the provost and the CFO of the university, as well as Stanford has an incredible roster of investment leaders um, you know, for part of the Stanford Management Board. And as a board, we would talk about topics ranging from investment theory and strategy, global macroeconomic trends, all the way to the inner financial workings of financing and funding, one of the top universities in the world. So I, I mentioned these things because I think both of these experiences, it helped me to understand the perspectives of, of extremely successful business leaders to put myself into their shoes to see how they thought about the business, what questions they would ask, what, what they were concerned about, and where they thought there was opportunity. And I think I think the most successful finance professionals right, are, are business leaders. And I think, um, for example, it's not uncommon that you'll see that 
as a CFO can um, move into the CEO's uh, seat at some some at some companies. And I think as you are going through your finance career, if you can always try to stay broadly focused on really understanding the business. Um, of course, you have to have your finance chops. You have to do an incredible job doing your accounting and financial reporting and whether it's tax or treasury work. But at the end of the day, it's going to be the breadth of your knowledge of the business that's going to drive your ability to contribute to the company. And so I think of myself not just as a, as a senior finance person, but as just one of the one of the important members of the senior management leadership team that happens to know, you know, things going around and making decisions and spending decisions and changing cash flow. So I think at the end of the day, it's all about it's all about the business. Okay, we're going to jump to the mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and mentor future finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? You know, I think that, you know, finance is evolving. I think that, uh, for example, my role at Forge, we're a company that's looking to disrupt our industry, it's looking to bring technology and create something new. I think that, um, I think that the evolution of, of how companies are changing um, create an opportunity. We always ask this as well, and I, I think um, the first time you step into a CFO role where you're the leader, you're the, the buck stops with you. So you've had, obviously, uh, many senior finance roles, but the first time you were uh, the CFO, was there a piece of advice or something you wish someone had told you when, before you stepped into that role? And so, so we're looking for that thing that you weren't prepared for, I guess, in some way when you think about it. But what was that piece of advice you wish someone had given you when you stepped into the role for the first time? Yeah, you know, it, it was really advice that was given to me by my, my CEO. And um, when I stepped into that, that CFO job, the CEO basically said, you know, I need you to take risks. And I think what he meant was by that specifically was – as opposed to just being a great technical financial um, professional and providing, you know, you know, just top line accounting and reporting and management of the budget and so forth. Um, really, the requirement and the opportunity was to step into that that role to start to put yourself out there to start to make recommendations, you may be right, you may be wrong, um, but regardless now, you're in a critical decision-making role, and your job is to help to make decisions, not to necessarily uh, rely on the CEO or, or uh, to, to be able to kind of make the final call. Many times the CEO actually wants you to make the final call, um, and so it, it's putting yourself out personal habit or maybe a daily routine that you believe has contributed to your professional success in some way 
we're looking for some personal information here, clearly. But it might be how you structure, how you structure your day, whatever it might be. Uh, well, for me, it's just trying to stay organized around having good visibility to kind of not just the day, but the week or the month, and trying to be able to look ahead and understand kind of the critical deadlines and milestones and the things we just have to get done and to know where to where in order where to prioritize and, and where to pull back. And there's always it's such a dynamic environment, there's always so many things going on. I think that as your role evolves in finance and you take on higher and higher levels of responsibility and your breath expands, um, you have to continually be able to stay on top of that, have good visibility to kind of everything happening and understand sometimes that there are things you, that just can't get done. Um, all right, so we're up to our final question. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Well, there's a lot of finance goals and objectives that we have to accomplish in this next 12 months. And as, as, uh, as I described earlier, there's just a lot of build that has to happen. Um, there's a lot of work that um, isn't in place today. Um, but, but actually, it's just kind of one of our priorities. There's, as part of a fairly young and really rapidly growing company, um, we're looking to expand internationally. We're looking to add new lines of business. We're looking to develop a lot of strategic partnerships um, with major players in the space. So it's more or less that the, the, the core finance work that has to get done is kind of a basic building block, but there's, there's just so much more. So, so we have a lot of priorities that we have to accomplish We have to basically just put all of our tasks in place and, and execute. I think I think w one of the things we talk about um, that will determine whether we're successful is focus. And we have to be clear on how we focus as a small company. We have enough work that you know could be done by 200 people, but we have 50 people. So so we need to stay focused on on the work we're going to do. Mark Lee, thank you for joining us on CFO Coffee. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.